All right, we're back in Mark chapter 8 this morning. According to the Pew Research Center, the largest religion in the world since 2020 is, guess what? Christianity. Of course, you have to count uh, Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox and all the Protestant um, denominations in that number. But when you put it all together, according to their study, it's 2.4 billion people. But how many people that identify as Christian are truly saved people? How many are really followers of the risen Lord? Especially when you consider what Jesus taught about discipleship. There are many people today who would say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I walked down an aisle one day in a church. I said the uh, sinner's prayer, but I don't go to church much anymore. I can't remember the last time I read my Bible, and I don't really have much time to serve the Lord. I don't really witness much either because I don't want people to get upset with me. Is such a person really a believer, a follower of Jesus, or just a big hypocrite? Well, our study in Mark arrives at a juncture in chapter 8, a turning point. The disciples of Jesus have finally concluded correctly who he is. He's the Christ. He's the Son of God. And based on that confession, Jesus is now able to reveal to them his coming passion and resurrection, and he's now beginning his journey from Caesarea Philippi down to Jerusalem where he will be crucified. That will take about six months. A pattern is also developing here that will be repeated three times in the rest of the gospel. It consists of three things. First of all, revelation. Secondly, confusion. And thirdly, instruction. Begins with a revelation of the Lord about his true mission, that he has to suffer, he has to die, but he'll be raised again. And the disciples are confused about this. They don't get it. Every single time we see it, they're confused about something. But then Jesus instructs them about discipleship in some way. So this morning, we're still in that first passage where this pattern develops. Peter, speaking for the disciples, has stated the truth about Jesus. He is the Messiah. Uh, Then Jesus reveals the end game for him, what has to happen to him in verse 31, uh, where he says, that he begins to teach them the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So this is the first time he has directly spoken to them about his death and his resurrection. Do they get it? Absolutely not, because Peter takes him aside and begins to rebuke him. Can you imagine doing that to the Lord Jesus? You're rebuking him because you don't understand what he's doing, you're confused, and he's not going the direction that you want to see him go. And the Lord Jesus, of course, turns around and shows uh, Peter exactly who he's acting like. Um, We come now to the teaching section of what true discipleship is all about. If a person truly desires to follow the Lord Jesus, he or she will be marked by self-denial and a willingness to take up his or her cross. 
And they'll follow the pattern of Jesus who gave himself up for us, who suffered the cruelty of the cross to save us from our sins. And the real Christian, the true Christian, the true disciple will display the same attitude, even to the point of dying for the Lord Jesus. Well, in the Lord's teaching here about discipleship, we're going to look at three points this morning. First of all, the great challenge to take up the cross. Secondly, the great paradox of taking up the cross. And finally, the great warning of denying the cross. But before we do, let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today that you revealed to us exactly what we need to hear about salvation. Lord, we know that we are a sinful people. We know that we cannot save ourselves. We know that we can spend our whole life living in the world, for the world, and doing all the things that we think make us happy. But Lord, we know in the end that doesn't work. We know that the only way we can have genuine happiness and joy in this life is by coming to the Lord Jesus. But if we do, Lord, we've got to accept that challenge And we've got to be willing to deny ourselves and take up whatever cross you give us. So, Lord, today we pray you'll just speak to our hearts. The Spirit of God will control the preaching and the listening this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first of all, we look at verse 34. We see the great challenge to take up the cross. And the challenge, first of all, is to everyone who would consider following the Lord Jesus. Now we're down in verse 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whosoever desires to come after me. Let's stop right there for a moment. So the challenge here is to all who would consider following the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus had been heading north to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And along the way, he's introduced this conversation about who he is. Who do people say that I am? And it was at that point, the disciples said, well, you're the Christ, you're the Son of God. Now, they've arrived at their uh, uh, destination, and he's now called a group of people together who we would assume are probably uh, Jewish people that have heard about him, and they're coming together, and maybe they're interested in seeing him do a miracle or heal somebody. But Jesus calls them together with his disciples. So this is a, another group of people. The 12 are there, and then he says, whoever, whoever desire, desires to come after me. And he wants them to understand the seriousness of commitment, the seriousness of a decision to actually follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you know that a follower or a disciple is one who follows a master or a teacher. And not only do they sit under the instruction of that person, that teacher, they follow his ways. They become like that master in their thinking and in their action. Now, many people today are curious about Jesus. They were curious about Jesus back then. Some of them uh, profess to be disciples. But the time has now come, as he begins his journey to the cross, for people to really make up their minds, to separate the true from the false, the genuine from the fake, and the confirmed from the curious. 
And we also need to know here that the disciples uh, are not an elite group of followers like the twelve. Jesus is addressing everybody in that crowd today who considers becoming his follower. He says, whoever desires to come after me, this is what is required of them. So he's speaking to anyone who desires to listen to and to obey his teachings and follow him on the way to the cross. And of course, uh, nowadays that means becoming a Christian, trusting Christ alone for your salvation. So this is serious business, and uh, a great demand is placed upon those who will come to him in this capacity. And your response to that actually determines the validity of your confession, whether it's real or, or not. Now, nearly everyone here today has probably made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know that for sure, but I know that many of you do. But does your life validate that profession? Are you meeting the demands that Jesus says is evidence of true discipleship, or are you just a nominal Christian? So let's take a look here at that fundamental demand of discipleship in the rest of the verse. What is it? Jesus says here, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Okay, so you need to be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross like Jesus did. We might put it this way. True discipleship involves self-denial evidenced by bearing your cross. True discipleship involves self-denial evidenced in bearing your cross. Now, Jesus' whole life was one of self-denial. He said, I came not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And we see that documented throughout the gospel stories. That self-denial led to the cross of Calvary, where he shed his blood as the full payment of our debt of sin to God. He paid the penalty of eternal death that we should have paid. And that was was his cross. That was his cross of self-denial. And that is a cross we cannot bear. He took took that cross upon himself at the expense of his own life that we might have eternal life and forgiveness of sin. That's not the cross we're talking about here, uh, literally speaking. But as a true follower of the Lord Jesus, you're going to have the same attitude that he had. And uh, we will deny ourselves, we'll take up our cross. So let's think about this a little bit more deeply. What does it mean to deny yourself? Well, first of all, it's not optional. The verb that's used here is stronger than in our English translation and actually conveys something that you must do if you're going to really be following the Lord Jesus. You must be like him in denying yourself. So what it means is that you forget about yourself. You lose sight of yourself and your own interests. One commentator put it this way, 
It's a radical abandonment of one's own identity and self-determination. We have all kinds of people confused about their identity today, don't we? And unfortunately, uh, for many, it's all wrapped up in their gender. But there's no confusion in the mind of the disciple about his identity in Christ and his willingness to allow Jesus to determine how he lives. Essentially, this means giving up your own way. You remember that passage in Isaiah 53 and verse 6? All we like sheep have gone astray. Each has gone where? His own way. That's the way of self-fulfillment. That's the way of doing what I please, making my own choices, doing what I think will make me happy. That's the way of the natural man, the natural person without Christ. That's the way we're geared. Uh, That's the way uh, that our, our lives are set. But in your lost condition, you don't care about what God wants for you or how you can love and help other people. You're ruled by that vertical pronoun, I. I rule my own life. I do what I want. I fulfill my own ambitions, my goals, my desires. I determine the direction of my life, self-determination. And this is the essence of life without the Lord Jesus. It's a me-first attitude. And folks, that's the way we're wired. That's the way we're born. We're so caught up in this nature of ours, we seldom even give it a thought that we're pretty much totally selfish. So this is the opposite of confessing Christ as God's anointed, the one who came to save me and become the new master of my life instead of myself. And the genuine self-denial is expressed in taking up your cross. And the Lord Jesus says here, you must take up your cross. A true disciple has a cross of self-denial that she or he must bear. So what does that mean? Now, if you'd been there that day among that crowd of people, maybe even one of the 12, and Jesus mentioned a cross, there's only one thing that would have passed through your mind. That part of the world was ruled by Rome, And if you were a a criminal convicted of a crime, you very likely could be executed on a cross. We all know what that means today, right? And so to them, when he mentioned a cross, that's what they would be thinking of. Maybe they had witnessed one. uh, Maybe they had heard about one, but they knew the cross was the patibulum, the cross piece that the criminal had to carry to the place where he was going to be executed on it. So that was pretty harsh. And it would have been very shocking to them, not just because Jesus mentioned it, but he said, you've got to take up a cross and bear it. Because in their minds, that meant one thing, you were going to die. When you went to that place of execution and you got put on that cross, you didn't come off of it alive. It meant imminent death. And that's what would have been in their minds of that day. So 
it would have been a big shock to them to hear Jesus talking about this. Now, a believer in Christ proves to be faithful and true when he takes up that emblem of his death to self, his uh, crucifixion of me, myself, and I. It involves the reproach of Christ and the derision of the world. It's a willingness to be despised and rejected by those who do not understand your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a sword that sometimes divides families and friends. Yet you're willing to take it because of what Jesus has done for you. You're willing to bear that cross. Paul uses sermon, uh, 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 similar terminology in Galatians chapter 6. You remember that passage? But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world was crucified to me and I to the world. So again, it's the idea of yourself being crucified on that cross. And the cross is even associated with giving your life for the sake of the Lord Jesus, dying for him in a literal sense. You think of these disciples, the twelve. Many of them would be martyred in the future for the sake of the gospel. James' death is recorded in Acts chapter 12. He's beheaded by Herod Antipas. Tradition tells us that Peter would be crucified upside down in Rome. Other would face similar affliction. Stephen's the first martyr recorded in Acts chapter 7. And then Paul, we believe, was executed by Nero in around 67 AD. And the list goes on and on and on through church history. Men and women dying for the Lord Jesus Christ, taking up that cross to the ultimate. But guess what? On the other side of the cross is glory. So it's worth it. If the day came in our lifetime where you were rendered a choice, deny Christ or die, what would your choice be? That'd be a pretty rough choice, wouldn't it? Well, it shouldn't be, not for a believer. Well, let's take a look then at what Jesus goes on to say here, presenting us a great paradox of bearing that cross. And what he says next is seemingly kind of contradictory. That's why we call it a paradox, but it's nevertheless the truth. Look what he says here. For whosoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. Okay, that doesn't really make sense. It doesn't seem to, at least not in, uh, in, in the uh, normal way of thinking. But here we find a word, Greek word suke, from which we get the English term psyche, or the self. And in the Bible, it can be translated either as life or soul, and that means it can either refer to your physical life or your inner life, the real person, and uh, in that way, we sometimes uh, render it soul, the soul of man, the inner being of man. In this context, there's an interplay between both of those meanings. So in verse 35, whoever seeks to save his physical life is in danger of losing it spiritually. But whoever is willing to lose his physical life for Christ's sake and the gospel, well, he's going to save it 
spiritually. Now, in the context, how does one save his life, physically speaking? Well, don't take up the cross. It's that simple. By not denying yourself, uh, you're saving your life in this world, so to speak. So if I conform to the standards of the world around me, if I avoid uh, the committed association I should have with Christ, if I play down righteousness and holiness, if I seek the admiration of the lost, uh, then I can avoid a whole lot of persecution and difficulty and unpleasantness in my life. But if I do that, the Lord says, you're going to lose the inner life. You're going to lose the spiritual life that you could have in me. Why is it? Well, it shows you don't really have a relationship with Christ, not a real true one. It implies you're not a disciple after all. Elsewhere, Jesus says, if you're not willing to do this, then you're not my disciple. In Matthew 10, he says, and he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Conversely, if you are willing to lose your life to the Lord physically, the life on this earth, and deny yourself and take up your cross, then you're going to save it, spiritually speaking. And that shows that you're really a believer, that you're really becoming like your master. You're not going to be perfect in that. We're going to have problems with that. We're going to have ups and downs. But you're willing to suffer as he did, even to the point of death, if that's his will. And note that he says here that all this is for his sake and the sake of the gospel, not our sake, his sake. It's for his will, his purposes in your life and in mine. It's a willingness to expend yourself like he expended himself for the sake of the gospel, to live it out by not denying him and serving him wholeheartedly. Now he goes on to show us that it's eternal folly to exchange worldly gain for your soul. Look at verse 36. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The self-life can never satisfy you no matter how much you gain, no matter how much you give up to get what you think you want. Think about people like Warren Buffett, George Soros, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos. These men are billionaires. They can have anything they want in this world. They exercise great power. There are other people who are famous, powerful. There are movers and shakers in the world. But where are they all going to end up? They've got everything. But if they don't turn to Christ, they're going to end up in hell someday. They have everything all everything that you would want, materially speaking, in this world. But what is that in exchange for an eternity in hell away from God? Is this what a person's willing to give up in exchange for his eternal soul? Jesus is conveying here that there's nothing as precious as your soul your inner life that can become spiritual and eternal through Christ. There's nothing greater in value that can be exchanged for that. 
And if you try to do that, it's to your own spiritual demise, this utter foolishness to live for this world, the self-life, and as a result, lose your soul forever and ever and ever and ever. Kind of reminds me of somebody else that's portrayed in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 12. And we've got uh, some farmers here, and we've got people familiar with that imagery. And in Luke chapter 12, the Lord Jesus teaches about a man in a parable. And he says, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. There and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. I, 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 me, 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 over and over again. This is a well-off person. And he's trying to figure out what to do with all the stuff he has because he's got way too much that he can use. And so what's he going to do? He's going to increase what he already has. He's not going to give it to anybody else. He's not going to help anybody else. He's going to do what he wants to do. And God says to him in verse 20, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So what is all that in exchange for your soul? Nothing, absolutely nothing. And we're foolish if we think this world uh, is where we want to uh, bear uh, uh, be our cross instead of denying ourselves. So losing your life in Christ is the best thing that you can do. Now, Jesus concludes all this in verse 38 with a great warning for denying the cross. A person who chooses to deny the cross rather than self is going to pay the most terrible price. We've already looked at it. We've already hinted that. And the Lord's warning is a contrast between shame and honor in a future day of judgment. He goes on to say, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he, meaning Jesus, comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Again, pretty serious business. Being ashamed of Christ is tantamount to denying him. Now how, again, do you show that you're ashamed of Jesus and his words? Well, by not conforming to the demand of discipleship, by fearing man rather than God, by fearing the shame and the reproach of the cross, uh, you show yourself to be ashamed of the one who died on the cross. You show that you're ashamed of Christ and the words that he speaks about being a real disciple. If you're unwilling to deny yourself and take up your cross, you've decided to deny Christ and his words. And you're actually siding with the adulterous and sinful generation in which you are living that denies Christ, hates Christ, and is sacrificed on the cross and everything about the, the gospel and his word, the Bible. Now, folks, <clears throat> we need to uh, interpret this correctly. 
Because if you don't, you're in great danger. You can't expect to live a life where you're ashamed of the Lord Jesus, ashamed of confessing that you're a Christian, and really kind of denying him like that, and expect someday to say, oh, well, you, you were ashamed of me, but I won't be ashamed of you. And I'll let you into heaven anyway. That's not going to work that way. That's not what this means. This means if you are ashamed of Christ and you're denying him by that shame now, he's going to do the same to you in the future. That means you're a goner. Listen to these words from Luke. Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, in other words, they're a true disciple, they're denying the cross, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God, a future judgment. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Second Timothy, he writes, if we endure, we also shall reign with him. Now that means enduring the persecution, the shame, the making fun of, all the negative things. But if we deny him, he also will deny us. So that means, to me, that, that sounds like you're not a genuine believer. You're not going to be going to heaven. So those who deny Christ instead of self are going to be denied by him on the judgment day. And I think that's what the Lord means here when he says that he'll be ashamed of you when he comes in the glory of his Father and the Holy angels. So you're going to be shamed by Christ. You're going to be denied by Christ at the final judgment. One author wrote this, how one responds to Jesus and his teachings is a reflection of how Jesus, as the Son of Man who judges, will respond then in the final judgment. And also he threw in there shame here and now is a small price to pay for acknowledgement and honor then. Now, when Jesus says here, uh, he's calling himself again that title, Son of Man. And then he says, when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now, on the surface, that sounds like maybe his second coming into the world where he's going to judge the world of unbelievers. But at this time in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, the disciples would not have had that thinking in their mind. What they would have uh, been thinking about, or at least drawn to, especially with Jesus using that terminology of himself, son of man, is found back in Daniel chapter 7, and this is kind of the final glory of Christ coming into his full glory uh, for all of eternity, but not before a time of judgment. So I want to read those two verses to you this morning as we close. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, uh, Daniel's having a vision now. And he says, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, he came to the Ancient of Days, God the Father, and they brought him near before him. <clears throat> now who they're bringing near are the enemies of Christ in the whole context there. 
then to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. That's talking about the eternal state and the judgment that precedes it where everyone will meet before Christ. And if you are a denier and you claim that you're a real believer, but you're not living anywhere near the way the Bible says you ought to live, then you're in danger of not being received in that day, but being part of those who are judged. And it's certainly not worth it. Taking up our cross now means we'll share in the crown later. You see that theme throughout the whole New Testament. Our rejection here on earth, our willingness to deny ourselves and bear the cross of shame and death, that's going to lead out ultimately uh, to our vindication and glory and uh, our, our heavenly enthronement with the Lord Jesus Christ. So before you get the crown, you've got to bear the cross. Just like Jesus did. Now let's bring down some applications here. <clears throat> Again, perhaps most of us today have made a confession of salvation, but maybe there's somebody here who hasn't. Maybe you don't really even know the Lord. Uh, you've, got, you've not admitted that he is the Son of God like Peter and the disciples did here. And you haven't come to him for the forgiveness of sins that he provided for you when he died on the cross and took up his cross for your sake. So you're still lost. You're on your way to a Christless eternity. What's the gain or the benefit of that? You're willing to pay the price. You need to repent of your selfishness and your sin and come to the Lord Jesus today. He'll accept everyone who will do that. But then there are those who have made a profession, said they're following the Lord Jesus, And there's that daily struggle of taking up the cross of self-denial. So how are we doing with that? How often do we fail to admit the sin of our own way? We have to deal with that thing every single day, selfishness. Putting our way above God's way or the way of others who are in need. How often does that self keep us from obeying the word of God and the will of God? What kind of excuses do we keep making? And then do you ever deny or play down that you're a Christian? Don't want anybody to know it because you just don't want to deal with anything that might come up with that. You know, they might look at me funny. They may not be my friend anymore. They might um, make fun of me. So do we shy away from identifying with Christ for those simple things that somebody might do? Is that worth your soul and exchange? Are we more concerned about what people may think than standing up for the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, who saved us from sin, death, and hell. And then we have to be reminded we cannot take up the cross of self-denial in the flesh. We need the Lord's help every single day to do this because the natural man can't do it. Only the spiritual man can. And this is not just a little cross we bear once in a while and then life goes on. It's a daily taking up a cross of reproach, a cross of service, of holiness, of denying the world, the flesh, and the devil. So we need to cry out to the Holy Spirit to help us 
bear that cross. So let's seek the Lord's forgiveness for persistent selfishness this morning. And let's submit to the Lord's aid in becoming more like the Lord Jesus Christ, who denied himself and took up his cross in order to save us from our sin. Shall we pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, we we, uh, realize today that these are some pretty strong words that come from you. We're thankful, Lord, that by trusting in your shed blood and your work on the cross of Calvary that uh, atoned for our sin, that we come into a living relationship with you. And Lord, that we really show that relationship, we really prove it when we're willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you. Lord, forgive us where we fall shy of that. We realize that we're not going to be perfect. We're not going to do it right every single time. But Lord, help us to be conscious of it. Help us to make the changes that are necessary. And help us to look to your spirit to help us deny self. And to bear the cross of shame whenever we're called upon to do it. Lord, if there's someone here today who's not sure of their relationship to you, we just pray that you'll reach down and convict them, Lord, and show them that there's nothing more important than their soul to you. You are willing to die for their salvation. And we just pray you convict them of sin and bring them to a living relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Before we close today, nobody looking around, maybe the Lord's spoken to you about something. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never really confessed Christ as your Savior. Could I pray for you? Just lift your hand up. I'll do that. Nobody looking around. Nobody uh, trying to get between you and me and the Lord. Maybe you're here today and the Lord's spoken to you about taking up your cross, your cross of self-denial. Maybe there's some ways you've been failing in doing that and you just need to make a change right now and, and confess to the Lord your, your sin and your failure and trust the Holy Spirit to help you in the future to deny the, uh, uh, yourself and, and to take up the cross, whatever that might be that God gives to you. Are you willing to do that this morning? Can we pray for you? Anybody at all? Heavenly Father, we do pray. You will just use your uh, spirit to uh, speak to our hearts, to help us to take up the challenge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to deny self and take up our cross and serve you. We ask in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.